Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Azaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abel, and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to that what his father David had done. He removed the high places, and he broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke in peace the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehesetan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. So it sounds like he's doing pretty good. He did what was right according to the things that his father David had done. No traditions in the church and traditions in our lives and traditions from Scripture are often very good things for us. For us today, it might be expositional teaching through the Bible. That's one of the things we kind of cling on to. For us, it might be Scripture songs, those songs that we love to sing that are Scriptures and we know so well. It might be home fellowships, because those were all part of our early church and how the church got started. It might even be the dove. Things that we want to cling on to and things that we want to hang on to. But in the process, King Hezekiah removed the pagan worship from the land. He also trusted in the Lord, and he held fast to the Lord, and he followed his commandments says that the Lord was with him, he prospered him, and he was victorious in fighting against his enemies, and his territory was increased. But let's take a note and look at verse 4. Other good kings had not gone this far. Other kings had started this. They had done some things. They took down the high places, but they didn't get all of the images out. And those images the people kept, and they hid them. But Hezekiah seemed to go a little bit further. He, he, he showed the courage to forbid idol worship of any kind. But what about the bronze serpent? Certainly, that's a great traditional thing. I mean, Moses made it, for heaven's sakes. It's been around a long time. They've kept it forever. It was wonderful. When the people that were afflicted in Israel looked upon it, they were healed. Their bodies were touched. They were saved. We even know that it was a representation of Jesus Christ. So it was a good thing. Jesus himself said this in John chapter 3. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So how did this wonderful remembrance become an idol? We need to be careful of that. At the same time, man takes something so good And so used by God, it becomes a destructive idol out of it. I think we must be careful ourselves not to do that. 
a person. We could take, I don't know, any well-known pastor that taught through the Bible and God used and churches came up and pastors were raised up. Would we take a man like that and make him something more than just a man? We could if we're not careful. How about a tradition that we have, a certain way of doing things? Could we make it this is the right way? I'll confess to you that when I was a young guy, my 20s, I was going to a denominational church. It was the best church. It had all the right things going for it. It had the best music. It had the best preachers. It even had the best Bible colleges. And nothing could stand up to this church. It was the very best. Then I went and I visited Calvary Chapel. (laughs) And I had this struggle because I knew what I had was good. They taught the word of God. They were faithful to the word of God. This was something a little different. It was faithful. They were teaching the word of God. And I came to realize early that that was something that was not necessarily for us to hang on to. Having been at Calvary since 1966 and been there through that time, it's been an exciting time for me personally to see the transition of the church and what we're going through now. Where maybe Pastor Chuck would have taught the book of Second Kings and read you every single verse and every single word and every single name and pronounced them all correctly, okay? <laughs> we're going through and talking about ideas and concepts and things that encourage us. We're still going through the Bible. We still respect it. And there is a place for your reading, for your listening to every single word and going through that. There's great opportunity for that. But we want to make sure that we get continually go through the Bible. So we have to be careful that we don't make the dove something more than it is. And so there was this whole conversation about, should we have the dove? Shouldn't we have the dove? Well, back in that other denominational church, we argued over three crosses or one cross. Should we have one cross on our bill? Well, the story says three crosses. So when you go out tonight, look at the Calvary Chapel sign there. It has the dove, okay? Because I, I, I fell, and I put the dove on the sign because I wanted the dove on the sign. So my... My, my pastor, all pastor, all pastor Brian said to me was, really? <laughs> yeah, really. So look at verse 5 of chapter 18. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him there was no one else. No other king liked him in the line of Judah, from Rehoboam all the way down to Zedekiah. We see that he will obey the prophetic word but only after he vacillates and after he wrestles with some fear. He has to do that. So in verses 9 to 16 of this chapter, Sennacherib comes on the scene, the king of Assyria, and he presents a challenge. And Hezekiah vacillates a little bit, and he pays a tribute to him. That's a Band-Aid approach. I think what was called last week was a Band-Aid approach. It's not solving the problem. It's just kind of covering it over. The Assyrians wanted more, but he said, well, I'll just pay you off. And he, he paid him with some silver and some gold. And then in verses 17 to 37, we see the Assyrian king sends his envoy to challenge Hezekiah. And he, and he comes upon him. Um, a couple other verses before that. Let me just look at verse 11. The king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria. So he, we're being reminded of that because they did not obey the Lord. 
Um, and then Hezekiah says to the king, if I have done wrong, turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And that's where the tribute comes in. And then in 17 till the end of the chapter, we see the Syrian sends his envoy, his envoy up to challenge him, Hezekiah. And look at 19b. What confidence is this in which you trust? Hezekiah was trusting in the Lord. Verse 5 said he trusted in Yahweh. He's trusting in the Lord. And the emissary, the, the messenger from, from the king of, uh, of uh, Assyria is coming and saying, what is this confidence that you have? It, the, God hasn't helped Israel. He hasn't helped anyone else. He's really going after him. How often does the enemy work on us in the same way? That won't work. They won't listen to you. You're not going to be able to have a youth group on the mountain. 50 kids show up sometimes. You're not going to be able to accomplish those things. There's no way these things are going to happen. The enemy comes and he says, what confidence is it that you have in the Lord? And we're always being attacked with things like that. And 31 even goes further. He says, do not listen to Hezekiah. Don't listen to your leaders. For heaven's sakes, don't listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me and every one of you eat from his own vine and every one of you his own fig tree and every one of you drink the waters of his own cisterns. Now we know because we looked ahead what he did to Zedekiah when he made a contract with him, right? Let him go for a few years and then he killed his sons and poked out his eyes. So this is not a guy you want to do business with. But that's what he's saying to him. And he says this in the Hebrew language. This letter that he sent wasn't in the Aramaic language. It was in the Hebrew language. So all the people that that, um, Hezekiah had around him heard this discouraging word that was being sent. He takes it further and going directly to the people. You know, it's so important for us to remind ourselves and to remind others of the truth that we know. And sometimes I think we're guilty of not just stopping and looking at some of the simple, basic things that we know I'm going to give you a couple examples. I've been doing something for the last few months. Uh, I signed up for a um, de- uh, devotion that comes out in the email from a lady. Her name is Christine Kane. I like her because she's really a, a kind of a dynamic speaker. Um, uh, she can really rally the ladies up and get them excited. But she has this really short, good devotional that comes out every day. It's called, um, what is it called? Oh, I forgot. Anyhow, it, it's good, huh? <laughs> don't ask, don't ask Mary. Uh, I want to say things that matter, but that's Pastor, Brand, uh, Pastor Brian's uh, radio show. Um, first things first. First things first. So here, here's something that's important, and this will pl- apply. This is one that she sent out, and I sent it out to, to Mary and my granddaughters. The peace in prayer. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and to be thankful, Colossians 3.15. My friend, there is so much peace in prayer. Yes, we all go through moments and seasons that feel unbearable and confusing. But the truth you can hold on to is that God will never leave your side. He is with you, and even when, you, when what you're asking for doesn't come to pass, he will still hold you in his presence and fill your soul with an unwavering peace. Run to him this week. Cry out for what you need, and rest in his love, even when you aren't sure what's next. Your heavenly Father is looking out for you, and he will take care of you. 
Not good, simple, short words, but so important for us to remember there is peace in prayer. Another one that she said, I found it profound, and yet it's so simple. You guys know that God loves you? You remind yourselves from time to time, you know, God loves you. Let me read you what her devotion said. God loves you. So we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Remember how far God has brought you, blessed you, provided for you, protected you, favored you, and loved you. God wants you to know today that he loves you more than you know and more than you think you deserve. Since the beginning of your life, he has been there for you, cheering you on and remaining proud of you no matter what mistakes you've made. If you feel unworthy, unloved, and unknown, then I'm here to remind you that the creator of the world sees you approves you, and loves you. Do you know God loves you? I want you to know that God loves you. God loves all of you. He cares about you. Some of you messed up this week, but God loves you. He loves all of you. And sometimes we need that simple reminder. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to do anything. So I challenge you this week, pick up the phone And call somebody and give them a little encouragement. That's what Hezekiah was in need of. We're going to see where he gets it from. He gets it from a prophet. Some some exciting words are coming. So I was thinking about that. I said, okay, God, you gave me these examples to give the people. But what can I tell the people? How can I encourage them? How can I make it personal? And um, I was reminded of something that Pastor Brandon taught on. uh, That I've always kind of just kept there and I've been playing with it and thinking about it and trying to grasp it and trying to get a hold of it. And um, as I thought about the fires, you know, our state is on fire. Um, I thought about the um, hurricanes in the southeast and the floods, devastation that came from all those. Um, I thought about the politics of late and all the name-calling and finger-pointing and... and, um, uh, investigations and all the stuff that we have and just all the unrest that we're going through as a country, as a nation, um, as we, um, do just do different things. The conversations that are going on with NATO, our military, where we're at, all the kinds of, just a lot of stuff. And then I added to that some of the things that I know that you guys are going through personally. You have this going on. You have a surgery in your family. You lost a a loved one in your family. You've got kids that are giving you a little bit of a hassle. You've got relationships that aren't perfect. You've got financial things going on. You have all this kind of stuff. I said, well, what can I tell the people that would encourage them in this time? Because that's what Isaiah is going to do to Hezekiah. So... He's still waiting for me to tell him what it is over there. <laughs> it's the two gardens and the two trees. The book of the, the Bible begins with the book of Genesis and sets the first thing in a perfect order in the Garden of Eden. But never forget, 
it ends with Eden restored in the last chapter of Revelation of the book. So even though all this is going on, the fires and the hurricanes and the politics and the stuff, I want you to remember that it's what's coming to an end is that garden's going to be reestablished and we're going to live in it. So let me read you from Revelations chapter 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. You know, he's talking about you and me. I'm going to read it again and keep in mind, I'm not reading some book that's hypothetical. I'm reading a book that's actual. This is talking about us. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with us. They, we will be his people, and God himself will be with us and be, their, be our God. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And you can go on and on and on. There won't be any more name calling, any more fires, any more fill it in the blanks. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And what we saw last week with the end of Israel and what we're seeing this week with the end of Judah and the, the um, um, two tribes that, that we're still dealing with is they had been turned over completely to idolatry. Everything was about them. Everything what's in it for me. And as we look at ourselves as a nation, we have to keep ourselves in mind. The only way we're going to stay sensible and sane in this, in this, in this process that we call life right now is knowing that there's another day coming. So in chapter 19, God was sending word to Hezekiah by his prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was speaking to the kings of Judah prior to Hezekiah and to Hezekiah. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. It'd be nice to have a prophet around like Isaiah or Jeremiah in this day. I wonder what he would have to say to us. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahas, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Three good ones and one bad one there. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked him to anger, the Holy One of Israel. They have turned back away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and petrifying sores. They have not... Uh, been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. 
Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers have devoured your land in your presence, and it is in desolate. And it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in the vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of Hosts had left us to the very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become and made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the, to the law of God, you people of Gomar. He's calling Judah that now. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and that fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs of goats. When you come to appear before me, you... Who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more uh, futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath, and the callings of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord had spoken it. Boy, wouldn't that get your attention? We had a prophet today coming out and talking to us like that. Isaiah had said to him in the first seven verses here, this is what he says in chapter 19 back in 2 Kings. It was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloths, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he set Elkakim, who was over the household of Shedan, the scribe, and the elders, the priest, covered the sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the messengers from his master, the king of Assyria. The end of verse 4, Therefore lift up your prayer, for the remnant is left. So the king, so the servants of the king Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah told them, and this is quoting from Isaiah 37. And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Then Sennacherib threatens him, He says, do not let your God in whom you trust, in verse 10, uh, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the Assyrians. 
And he's basically saying, I've taken all of Israel and now I'm going to take you. And Hezekiah received that in a letter. And when he received the letter, he prayed before God in verse 15. And let's read his prayer. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who delivers between the, who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. I like the way that a lot of the prayers in the Bible reiterate the, the attributes of God. You should try that. Try, try to say some of the things that you know about God. Here he's saying you, um, you alone are the kingdoms. You have made heaven and you have made earth. Incline your ear, that God, that God, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, which is true all around them. They've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the works of man's hand, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord alone, you alone. Then Isaiah speaks back to him and says, because, the, um, because you've prayed, the Lord has these words to say. The virgin, and he's talking there about the city of Jerusalem. And then he goes on and he gives them all these things that are going to happen. But I want to just jump, jump forward to verse 34. For the Lord says, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. The, the prayer that Hezekiah prayed because of the Assyrians' threat shows that he was anxious, and he was anxious for the people, and he wanted those people to be delivered. But it goes deeper when you get to verse 19. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us by this hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God. We should be praying that whatever happens in our nation, whatever happens that we accomplish as a group of people, as a church, as a fellowship, as a community, as a nation, that we want to do it so that God is honored. We want to do it so that God receives honor. I hope that we come here to honor God, not to honor any of the people that serve here, but or the dove, but you come to honor God. God. That's why we come. That's why we worship. That's why we have fellowship together. So Isaiah, in his response, because you prayed, even though in Isaiah chapter 1 that I read, God said he's not going to hear your prayers, he still hears their prayers. And we know that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's so important, too, when you come to the Lord to pray, that you ask the Lord to search your heart and see if there is any wickedness or any evil in your way, anything that you haven't confessed. And some of us, you know, have a hard time. Sometimes we carry around things that we know aren't right, maybe a bitterness, maybe a little bit of anger, maybe some frustration, some anxieties, and we carry it with us, and we don't get rid of it when we come to the Lord. Maybe, like we sang, maybe there's some fear out there that we are facing, and we have that fear, but if we will come to the Lord in prayer, that fear will go away, and in worship. Then verse 35, one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. You know, in the men's studies, we've been studying verses, and we have found that almost every verse that we study is the greatest verse in the Bible. 
this is one of those verses. It's just a great verse. It starts with, and it came to pass. Now, let me tell you about a story from Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck had this lady who was coming to him. He said, I have such a problem. I just don't know what God's going to do. And I have this problem. And will you pray with me? Yes, I'll pray with you. But you know, you're going to find the answers in the word of God. You need to get in the word of God. You need to study the word of God. A couple Sundays later, this lady comes down the main aisle and gets him right after he gets done speaking. I got the answer. I got the answer. Like you told me, I went home and I opened my Bible and I started reading. And the first words I read was, it came to pass. And her problems were gone, okay? So that's what this is about. One of those great verses, it came to pass. On a certain night, that the angel of the Lord, and then by the way, I looked that up and that's singular, went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, they were the core. There were the corpses all dead. Sounds like a great victory was, t- was given to Hezekiah and to the city of, of Judea. The king goes on and he's killed by his two sons. And so his life is, is a wreck. And so the, the prophecies of Isaiah come true. The answers to the prayer that we just looked at happen. In chapter 20, we have um, an account of the last things of the life of Hezekiah. He's delivered from a very serious sickness in verse 1. He says, sick near to death. And then he prayed towards the Lord there in verse 2. And Isaiah came and said, you know what? You're going to get another 15 years there in verse 6. And then in verses 12 to 19, he, makes a, he has a momentary weakness. The Babylonians had come, and the Babylonians said, Judah, we want you to come. Hezekiah, we want you to come with us. And we want to get the Assyrians out of here once and for all. Assyria is going to fall away. Babylon is going to become the great, next great nation. And then the Persians will follow them. And so the Babylonian king comes and he wants them. And so the emissaries come up. And what does he do? Is he takes them in and he shows them all of the, of the treasures and the wealth of the temple and of his own house. Wasn't a good thing to do. So he was rebuked by Isaiah for doing that, by the way. But it was a momentary weakness. The Assyrians wanted to eliminate, I mean, the Babylonians wanted to eliminate Assyria. They wanted Judah as an ally. What a better ally could you have than somebody who, you, who your enemy had just threatened? Hezekiah was flattered and pleased at this. And maybe there was a bit of pride. Over in Second Chronicles, and there's some chapters there, 29 through 31, which would be good to read um, because it gives you a lot of the story of Hezekiah. But in, verse, in chapter 32, verse 25, we read this. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself after he realized the mistake he'd made. And the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And the wrath doesn't come until Hezekiah is gone. So this should remember that even when the Lord blesses us, and he provides for us, and he answers our prayers, we need to be careful to give God the glory for all the great things he has done. In chapter 21, there's two more evil kings, Manasseh and Ammon. Um, 
They were just bad guys. Um, Manasseh, verse 2, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations. In verse 3, he rebuilt the high places. He raised up the altars to the to Baal and the wooden images. Verse 4, he built altars in the house of the Lord. That's not good. Practiced soothsaying in verse 6 and witchcraft and consulted spirits and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to anger. Um, verse 9, Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Verse 13, and I will stretch out over Jerusalem and measure line of Samaria and he plummeted the house and I will wipe Jerusalem away and I will forsake them and they shall be victims and enemies. And then his son Amon did the same thing, verse 20, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh did. So not good guys. Then chapter 22, the last good king, Josiah, was eight years old when he took over. And he did what was right in the, in the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. And then verse 8, he found the book. Well, they were restoring the temple. And one of the workers there had found, one of the, the priests and scribes, found a book of the law in the house of the Lord. And in verse 11, now it happened when the king heard the words of the Lord that he tore his clothes, and the king commanded that it be read throughout the nation. One last attempt for uh, reformation. Again, they started by restoring the temple and getting the sin and the idolatry out of it. They found a copy of the law. Now, Manasseh and his son were ruling for 54 years. So probably 54 years, no one had heard the word. And now, when the king heard it, he tore his clothes. The absence of the book, the absence of being able to read it, that was one of the great things of the Reformation, what brought about the Protestant church, is the word of God was made public. It was made so that we could all have it, so we could have it in, in, our, in our signs. Um, we have to be careful to maintain that. You know, it's been taken out of schools, but it hasn't been taken out of churches yet. It hasn't been taken out of our national life, and we, we can't ever let that happen. So the absence of this book... Uh, the people, the priest, and the king must have all been unaware. It affected the king so much that he tore his clothes and he said, I want this read to the whole nation. When the word of God is lost in the temple of God, nothing can save it from ruin. The word of God was lost. It was in the temple, but it was lost. Now the temple, after the 54 years of Manasseh's family, is in total ruin. The word of God was in there, but it was lost. We are the temple of God. We need the word of God in us. We need not to just know that it's in the book on the shelf. We need to have it in us. We need to read it and keep it in there. In chapter 23, Josiah goes on and restores the worship. He read the words of the covenant. He made a covenant with the Lord. He removed the idols from the temple. He broke down the high places. He killed the idol-worshiping priest, and he restored the worship. So let's look at verses 24 and 25 of the 23rd chapter. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted medians and spirits, the household gods and idols, and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, 
according to all that the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. And I think it's so important. When you look at the ministries today that have gone really well and and people have grown and people have moved on and churches have been planted, you'll find that the word of God is prominent in their in their ministry. It's the teaching of the word of God that accomplishes the great things. And no matter which great of uh, these pastors that we've been so blessed to have in this last 30 and 40 years, the ones that have stuck to the word of God, those are the ones that God has blessed. Whether it's Dr. Jeremiah, whether it's... Um, um, uh, Chuck Swindoll, whether it's Pastor Chuck, whether it's any of these guys that have really stuck with the word, it's it's the it's it's what's caused the great outpouring of the of the church. So it's neat uh, for us to see that. So he restores the worship, and then in twenty three, the second half of twenty three and twenty four, the pending judgment of Judah, the last bad king reigns. Let me just read you a few highlighted verses from that. So starting with verse 27. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, just like he said about Israel, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen, his chosen city, and the house which I said my name shall be there. Then Josiah dies, and then Jehoaz is is, uh, the new king. He does evil in the sight of the Lord. Then Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim comes, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then Judah over, is overrun by his enemies in chapter um, 34. Um, Judah is removed, and that brings us to the end of the story of Judah. But one last word from Isaiah. Isaiah knows that this city of Judah is going to be destroyed. It's going to be taken down. And he decides to sing a song. He decides that he's going to entitle the song, A Song of Salvation. But he knows, and he's already told Hezekiah, that this is happening. And so in chapter 26, it says, of of Isaiah, it says, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and, and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah or Yahweh, the Yahweh is everlasting strength. What great words that Isaiah is doing that. How could Isaiah be writing this when he knows what's happening as Judah and the surrounding area is falling? It's because these two chapters of Isaiah 25 and 26 deal with that day. The strong city is the kingdom of God, and the city of man is the world system. Remember that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. Uh, Isaiah is trusting the Lord. So we have the city of man and the city of God. We have the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God. And we're a nation that has blessed the world. We, we're celebrating today, Armistice Day, the end of World War I, where our nation came to the rescue of Europe and put our lives at stake and went over there and, and helped end that brutal war. We've done that with other wars, World War II, 
We became a great nation. Rome was a great nation in the 5th century. I want to read you something that I found interesting. Uh, the commentator gave me this, and um, uh, then I had to look up some things and just confirm it. But in the 5th century, Rome was conquered by less civilized tribes from the north in Europe. Rome in 400 AD was a great nation. They had roads all over the place. They, they were the world power. But tribes from the north in Europe came, and the mighty Roman Empire was no more. Many blamed the fall of the Roman Empire on a new religion that had started. And they officially embraced that religion in the 300s under Charlemagne called Christianity. In this time of confusion, Augustine wrote his book, The City of God. And in it, he tried to explain the fall of the Roman Empire in relationship to the kingdom of God. Making the contrast between the city of man represented by Rome and the mighty Roman Empire and the city of God, the kingdom of God. And Augustine had hope because he was referring to the kingdom of God. He pointed out that even though the fall of Rome was tragic for the city of man, it really only hastened the coming of the city of God. So in that day that Isaiah talks about, Judah is seen as a strong city, but it's meaning God's kingdom is coming. So if Rome was the city of man or the world system, but Augustine knew that the city of God was coming, the kingdom of God, then what is America but a world system? But we know that the kingdom of God is coming. Isaiah says, we have a strong city knowing that the day of the Lord is coming and with it the kingdom of God. And in the middle of that song that Isaiah sang, we have this verse. You will keep him, you and me, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. And with all the turmoil we have going on around us, the fires, Fortunately, no earthquakes for a while. The hurricanes, the floods, the wars that are still going on, the political unrest, everything that's happening, stay your mind on the things of the Lord, and he will give you peace, and he will give you rest. Let's pray.